in these days we are confronted by rainbow flags flying all around the country, that such a symbol has been chosen as the symbol of sin and of man's unnatural relations with one another and the arrogance and pride that goes with it seems rather ironic. Why would the symbol of God's covenant mercies to people, to sinful people, be taken to be the symbol of something that contradicts the very ways and purposes of God? Will only the sinners know. I am sure we have all observed the true bow of God, the rainbow in the sky. It is a wonderful sight. It produced not by man, but by God. Given by God as a sign of great covenant blessings. Thus you and I, as we see the rainbow in the sky, should rejoice. We should give thanks to God, remembering its purpose. And as we see the rainbow, it should remind us And we should remind ourselves that God is reminding himself and acting for our good. And he will act. As we thought last week, when when God remembers, God acts. So as we turn this morning to Genesis chapter 9, we come to God's covenant with Noah. God's covenant with Noah the sign of which is the rainbow. In these first 17 verses, the covenant is brought to a focus and we want to consider the aspects of this covenant. It does remind us that there is a better covenant. This covenant is special. It was made with Noah and indeed with all the animals. But it should cause us to reflect upon a covenant made with us through Jesus Christ, that everlasting covenant that has an impact for our eternal well-being. So as we think about this covenant, we want to think first of all about covenant blessings. Then we will go on to see covenant responsibilities, covenant promise, and the covenant sign. So first of all, we see here covenant God's covenant blessings. And what blessing there is from this covenant. Just note how this begins here with the words to God, of God to Noah. And what is recorded? God blessed Noah and his sons. And what a blessing that was. And we could really stop there and just tease out all the ways in which God blessed his sons. But I think the following verses tell us something of the blessings that would come. Because as he gives them instruction, there are three areas that are particularly a blessing. First of all, God tells his sons to be fruitful. Then he tells them they will have authority or dominion over the animals. And then he tells them you are allowed to eat of the animals. So let's think about fruitfulness. What a blessing it is from God. 
he tells them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The blessing of God is going to come upon man so that he is fruitful. And that fruitfulness is going to be an increase in population. Of course, those words that same thought had already been spoken to Adam. Adam was the father of all. Now Noah is going to be the father of all nations from this point on. Everything else, everyone else being destroyed. The earth has been cleansed. And now Noah is given this charge, but also this blessing. Life will come from you. You are to be fruitful. You are to multiply on the earth. And here is one that is important that we, God, will bless with children. It is part of God's purpose, part of God's design, that when a man and a woman marry, they shall have children. That is the fruitfulness that will come. Because we live in a world of disease, illness, sickness, and all the problems that have arisen ultimately, of course, as a result of the fall, it's not as straightforward as some think. Yet God spoke to Noah in his day to his sons and their wives, gave them this command to be fruitful. Thus today we see many blessings of God coming to families. As children are born and given of God. They are to be counted as blessings, as God's gift. They are the result of God's care for his people. And we should think through that and how it might impact life. Today, whenever we see people who are robbing the womb of the unborn child, we could say that they're actually flying in the very They're doing the very opposite of what God said they should do because they were to be fruitful and not for self, selfish personal convenience, not have children and especially not murder the unborn. God graciously says to Noah, be fruitful. This will be a blessing to you. What a joy it is to have children. And where there are those who, by God's purpose, for some reason are not able to exercise compassion and care and sensitivity. And we don't understand all of God's purpose. God may bless in other ways. But here is a blessing that we should appreciate and we should delight in and pray for. Secondly, in the covenant blessings, we have God telling man that he will have dominion over the animals. Remember that back earlier in Genesis, God gave animals and man and the animals all came before Adam. There was obviously some sort of harmony the animals came to Adam and he named them. There was no fear on either side in the wonderful, perfect garden. And as Adam named the animals, there was, of course, none found as a helper. 
And so God made Eve a helpmate for Adam out of his own flesh to complement him, to be at one with him. And so they were created male and female. At the fall, there might have been some disruption to the harmony between man and the animals. And here, God gives man dominion over the animals. What a blessing that is, that man would be able to herd the animals, that man would be able to exercise authority to keep the animals and to be over them and deal with them. Sometimes we hear of people today who leave extraordinary amounts of money to some charity that looks after dogs or donkeys or such like, but they never leave anything to care for orphan children or for needy people. You think there's surely something wrong with that, and there is. Because man has dominion over the animals, and man, being in the image of God, should demand the first care of our hearts. But we do have dominion over the animals doesn't mean that we are not to care for them. We'll come to that as we think about the responsibilities in a moment. It's because we have dominion that the farmer goes out and milks his cows. It's because we have dominion over them that the farmer is able to produce the meat for the table. And it's because of God's covenant blessing to Noah and to all who would follow him. And this should cause us to reflect upon our relationship with the animal kingdom among whom we live. So there's blessings, first of all, fruitfulness, secondly, dominion over the animals, and thirdly, diet. This, very briefly, worth noting, everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. One might consider that as a result of reading that, that up until this point, mankind had lived on vegetation, on vegetables, and what grew. That is possible. Um, We can't be 100% sure. But certainly here, what we see is that God blesses man by giving him a wider, varied diet. He says, the the animals will be food for you. There's nothing wrong with eating the meat. God is giving that permission. It's alright to be a vegetarian. Some people take that course. But they cannot enforce their thoughts and their view upon others. Because it is legitimate for us to eat, as God says here, the meat of the animals. What a blessing that we have. What a privilege that God has shown mankind that this is the diet we are allowed to have. In fact, it ought to lead us to give thanks to God when we come to our table and when we are able to eat the rich variety. Whether you are going home to roast beef or whatever, Remember, it is part of God's covenant blessing to you. Here are the blessings of God's covenant. 
But then with blessing comes responsibilities. And there are covenant responsibilities. And here they are outlined as we see in these verses as we read on from verse 4. With the blessing of God, we are to be careful of the lifeblood of the animal, of the lifeblood of each other, and also we are, it is re-emphasized that we are to increase. And that is a responsibility. Just note these three things and turn, first of all, the lifeblood of the animal. As we think about this responsibility, and actually of going out to eat the meat, God says, you are to be careful. The blood is the life. And you're to make sure you don't eat the meat with the lifeblood in it. The animal, while it lived, the blood pumped around it. That was lifeblood to it. And so you're to make sure that you eat appropriately, having regard to the life of the animal. And I think we would say that this is teaching us to show respect for the animals. Animals are living beings, living things rather, created by God. They are not to be abused. Man has a responsibility to care for the animals. And so it is right and fitting that we, in our dominion over them, do not abuse them and starve them and treat them wrongly, but rather have a care for them. We may think, that someone leaving millions of pounds to a dog sanctuary or donkey sanctuary is crazy, and it probably is. But on the other hand, it is wrong of man to have animals cooped up in unsuitable places and circumstances, to have them starving. And therefore we must give thanks for our own land's cruelty laws against animals. And when we see bedraggled horses or other animals that are not cared for, that should strike us. For that is contrary to our responsibility. We are to show care for them. That may fall mainly to those who are farming today, but we all have responsibility. Whenever you go to the zoo, does that zoo keep animals cooped up in circumstances that really are unfitting? Well, if they are, you should protest. You should say, that's not right. They should have that amount of freedom and liberty that befits them. So we have responsibility to the life of the animal. But far greater than that, far, far more important is responsibility for the lifeblood of man. God said to Noah, And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. I want you to note that. That even an animal comes and takes the life of a person. That animal will be held accountable to God. We don't know how God will do that, but he tells us that here. The responsibility for the the taking of blood, the animal will be accountable before But having made that point, he goes on to the much more serious problem. And from each man too, 
I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. God has had the experience of seeing Cain kill Abel. He has learnt of man's sinfulness extending to the boasting of Lamech about killing a young man. Murder has entered in because of sin. This taking of the lifeblood of man is wrong. It is flying in the very face of what God has done in the creating of man in his own image. And now with a new beginning, God is putting down a rule in his covenant. He's saying, here's a responsibility. You are responsible for one another. You are responsible. And if you take the lifeblood of another man, I will hold you accountable. And how is God going to do that? Well, he tells us, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. In other words, God is telling us we have responsibility for our lifeblood. And if someone so callously in hatred and wickedness takes the blood of another, may responsibility to take the life of that person. Not coldly, not in, a, in, a, in, a, in anger, not uh, simply in a wrong way, but because they have failed God. We believe in capital punishment. It is part of our responsibility for the protection of life. We should note, however, that very often laws are enacted and the great talk is about a deterrent. Enact this law and there will be a deterrent. Some people would argue that if the capital penalty is there, it will be a deterrent. Well, friends, that's part of it, but that's not the main thing. And we should note this. Law that is enacted should never be enacted only because it's going to be a deterrent. It should be enacted as a matter of judgment and justice under God. And especially so with capital punishment. With a man who has taken the life of another, forfeiting his own life. If he has so disregarded the image of God in a fellow human being, he has no right to life. He has given it up, and God demands it of him. Having said that, part of our responsibility as people is to practice this with great care and diligence. A judge and jury that might convict someone on weak evidence, on a biased jury decision, someone who could easily be guiltless of the crime will be guilty of murder. If they come and give little regard to the evidence and bring in evidence that's dodgy and they convict someone and they are put to death, then they also are guilty of murder. And if they know that, if they are aware that lies have been told and they convict on the basis of them, they are guilty of murder. When the judge and jury come, they must be 100% certain. They must have the testimony of the witnesses as Scripture describes it. And they must 
be sure and know that this person has done the deed. Only then will it be true justice. Only then will it be fitting before God. It's a grave, it's a solemn responsibility. But under the covenant here, God tells man, your life is so precious. If someone takes it, be held responsible. Of course, this feeds down and we could take a whole address to think about how this works out into all of society, our care for one another. How rather than taking the unborn infant out of the womb, we should be doing everything to protect and, and sustain and, get, and help them. Rather than seeing people starving, we should be doing all in our power to help them to live. Giving help so that their lives are not in danger. Rather than texting when you're driving along in the car and endangering others, you should give due regard. That's where it comes to, you see. Have you so little regard for the lifeblood of other men that you're not going to pay attention to what you're doing and endanger life? Safety on the farm, in the office, in the home, all of these things could be poured into this responsibility. Here's the covenant responsibility given of God. The third thing there sort of is the other side of that. Rather than empty the world of people, we are to fill the earth. And it's interesting that at this point, Moses records God's words, As for you, be fruitful, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. God gives that direction again. Because this is the blessing that he will give. And this is our responsibility. We're to fill the earth and bring glory to God. To fill the earth with people who will worship God. And we are to call people to that responsibility. As Christians, we are to teach our children, it is God who has given you into the world. You are to worship Him. What a a joy it is. What a responsibility to continue to bring others to know the living God that they might multiply upon the earth. Thirdly, as we think about covenant, there's the covenant promise. Noah has this covenant established with him. What is the root? What is the main focus of the promise? Well, it's quite simple, isn't it? Never again will I destroy the world with a flood. Never again will I wash the whole face of the earth clean with a flood. Put yourself in the position of Noah. Here he is, and the animals, and they've left the ark. And they've been through a devastating experience. All that they saw on the earth have now disappeared, and they are the only ones left. Is there a danger this could happen again? They may have gone forward fearful that another flood could come. Would they be able to get an ark built on time? Would God do the same thing? But God takes away all those fears. He says to them, Never again will I cleanse the face of the earth with a flood. Just you put yourself in a different position. Imagine uh, that you have had a very serious problem. Imagine 
your house has been burnt to the ground and you've had to rebuild it. You come in and you'll be fearful. Is there an electrical fault that could start another fire? But imagine the builder, those responsible come and say, there is no way that will happen again. We have double-checked everything, fire-resistant materials, sprinklers, all the rest of it. It won't happen. Now, of course, such a guarantee is very unlikely. But you can see how it would put you at ease. The same problem cannot be repeated. So God says and promises to mankind, never again will I wipe off by floodwaters people and animals from the face of the earth. And so he puts it this way, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And as we think about that promise of God, just notice its scope. It is not just a covenant promise with man. God actually makes it with the animals too. He says to them that he will preserve them. I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants, with you, and verse 10, with every living creature that was with you. It's a covenant that God himself takes on and makes with the whole world with the animals. So it is with all creatures as well as with man. Notice also the length of this covenant. It is forever. Ever and ever and ever. Never again will he destroy the earth with a flood. It is a promise that remains even today. So when you see the sign of the rainbow, you can be assured that God is not going to flood the whole earth. It's interesting here that we could actually argue back another way because we could say, well, if God makes this covenant promise to all the animals and to Noah, and that therefore he will never flood the earth again. So the earth must have been flooded all over. It must have been truly a worldwide flood. Why do we say that? Because if it wasn't, if it was, as some argue, a localized flood in that particular area, then God has broken his covenant. But we know that God doesn't break his covenant. And what God is saying is that he will never flood the whole earth again. The waters will never cover all of the mountains again. But he is not saying that there will not be floods. We know that. There have been floods even this past week in England. Floods in other places. But his promise is that that will never wipe the whole surface of the earth again. What a wonderful promise for us. When we see the clouds darken and the skies grow dull and the rain begin to fall and it never seems to stop, we think we swept away. Well, God has a promise to you and to me 
that he will never flood the whole earth again. There will always be higher ground to go to. And of course, fourthly, we have the sign of the covenant. What a wonderful sign. The rainbow given by God. And God says, I will put that sign up. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Remember when God remembers, I mentioned it last week, when God remembered Noah, he acted to bring him out of the ark. When God remembers, he acts. And so when God sees the rainbow, he is going to act, he is going to stop the waters at some place. They will never again flood the earth. And that rainbow is a sign of God's everlasting covenant man and with animals. And it still applies to our day. And as we think about God's covenant, you and I are to marvel at this. It reminds us that God's hand is on all of creation. When we see the rainbow, it reminds us, well, God is remembering his works. And his hand is on the whole earth. He is dealing with us. Whether it be the fires in Australia or the floodwaters in England or some other catastrophe, God, his hand is upon it. And he is working out his purposes. The flood, of course, was a day of judgment. And when we see that rainbow and remember God's covenant, it should remind us that there is a covenant into which we must enter by faith in Jesus Christ so that we will escape the day of judgment that is yet to come. The bow in the sky should direct our thoughts to the one who died that we might have life and that we would not be swept away in the judgments of God at the last day. We are to rejoice in Jesus Christ as Lord. Here then is God's covenant with Noah. It is a covenant of blessing. It brings its responsibilities. There's a promise that we can rely on. And there's a sign we delight in. Friends, we are to speak of God's mercy to Noah. We are to direct people when we see the rainbow to Noah. And then say, but God has provided even greater salvation in Jesus Christ. And in fact, it is in the covenant with Jesus Christ that there is hope for the murderer. It is in him that there is hope for those who take the life of the unborn or who indulge in immorality, which is so unnatural. Repent and come to Jesus Christ as Lord and you will have life. Amen.